I, I do live in Atlanta. Before that, though, I lived in South Carolina. I actually grew up in South Carolina. I grew up right outside of Greenville uh, in a small town called Fountain Inn. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, good, good. And you got your Gamecock fans. That's great. That's great. Uh, I graduated from Clemson. Uh, I know, five. I got it. I understand. Last night, incredible, right? Unbelievable. In the pouring rain, the garnet and black just comes. I can't even get excited about it. All right. Um, <laughs> the only thing I can do, the only thing I can say about that is it shuts up the Georgia fans that live all around me. Um, so it's helpful in that way. Otherwise, I'm not that excited for you. But enjoy, enjoy. Have your moment. Have your moment. Have your five years. Uh, it's not a moment. I understand. But I grew up in South Carolina and, uh, and went to Clemson, and then the Lord uh, really began to work on my heart. I won't go through the whole story, but uh, planted a church in Columbia, of all places, uh, right in downtown, and uh, 95% of our church was either a USC student or a USC grad, and uh, so it was fun uh, for me. Uh, but we were there for, uh, I lived there seven years, and then we felt like for really about 18 months before we moved, like the Lord was doing something. We didn't know what it was, but... We felt like, man, we've done everything we're supposed to do in, in this city. The leaders that have been raised up in and around uh, me and the other guys who are the pastors that are leading this church forward, uh, it, I don't need to be here. Like, the best use of my, any resources that God has given me, like, there's another place. And so for about 18 months, we investigated that. We didn't know what it meant. Um, went to Brooklyn, New York, and spent uh, a week there and just prayed through if I was supposed to move to Brooklyn, New York. I didn't do that. And uh, we end, uh, ended up uh, moving to Atlanta. I worked for an organization called the North American Mission Board. And really, at the end of the day, we have a very simple strategy, and that is that we want to see things like what is happening in this room happen all over uh, North America, United States, and Canada in communities uh, that are the least reached with the gospel. Gospel being the good news that there is a God who has come for us, has died in our place. And so that's what I do. I help plant and start churches uh, that are hopefully healthy, like this one, um, all over North America. And so that's what I do. Uh, and that involves a lot of interesting and different things, and, uh, it's, uh, but it's fun, and we enjoy it. We, uh, just, uh, we've been debating, like, should we like, settle down in Atlanta for like a while? So we just bought a house, finally, uh, about a month ago, and we're renovating it, and we're living in the renovation. So it's great. Um, my wife, is, she's joyful right now. Because uh, I travel a good bit, and so I'm like, hey, the painters will be in this whole week. And she's like, yeah, and you won't. I'm like, mm-hmm, <laughs> have fun. So we're, uh, we're getting close. We should be finished by the end of uh, this month, by uh, the beginning of October, have a house that we actually can like, live in and not, we've been literally moving room to room. So, but in Atlanta, the, I, was, I mentioned this earlier about the traffic. Uh, traffic's terrible, and I'll never forget a time where my son and I, all we wanted to do was go get pizza. That is a task in Atlanta. And so it was around 5.30. It was my fault. That was dumb. But we left and went to go get pizza around 5.30. My son at the time, he's five now. He's about three and a half years old then. And uh, he's very, uh, very intuitive, uh, seems to be really smart. He's a lot like uh, his, his, his mom. And so he... He just picks up on things, asks lots of questions, and we're driving, and so I figured, all right, I'm going to start just testing the boy out a little bit. We'll have a conversation, see how this goes. And then so as we're driving now, you got to keep in mind, we're driving, I'm, we're in Atlanta, and I'm frustrated because that's what happens when I drive anywhere. But in Atlanta, it goes to another level. 
And so I'm frustrated, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, I'm trying, I don't think I was being like an ultra-spiritual dad in the moment. I think I was just trying to distract myself from the surroundings of people driving slow in every lane. And so uh, I looked at him and said, Jack, what, what's the gospel? And, you know, a little bit of a churchy word, but I said, Jack, what's the gospel? And he said, Daddy, the gospel is good news. And literally, if you translate the word gospel, it translates to be the phrase good news. So I'm like, that's right. It is good news. I was like, but what's the good news? And he said, um, we get grace. I'm thinking, what? This kid is so smart. Like, he's going to start churches. I, this is great. Um, and he said, we get grace. I said, okay, but what is, what's grace? He said, uh, Daddy, grace is getting what we don't deserve. I'm blown away at this point. So then he goes into an illustration. He says, you know how, Daddy, like when um, you, you get upset when I do bad things? And uh, I don't know what your view is on parenting, but that's not the point of today. Uh, if you have questions about it, ask David or Charlie. Uh, they'll answer it. But he said, you know, like when I, when I deserve a pop pop? And I said, yeah. He's like, and you don't give me one? And I was like, yeah, he said, that's grace. <laughs> Which, interestingly enough, somewhere in that series of events, uh, or of a, the, that time period, he, he pushed his sister off of a stool. It's just not good. She was one and a half at that time, so she was just sitting on the stool, he pushed her off. And then I immediately react to go to him to take him to the place where we have our conversations, we'll call them. And uh, as soon as I take him there and I go into the room to, hey, Jack, we got to I talk to this. He goes, Daddy, are you going to give me grace this time? <laughs> so that day I taught him uh, the biblical idea of justice. Um, <laughs> so he, he learned it that day. So anyways, he, he's starting to understand grace and justice. You got to teach the whole council of the word. So I was doing that. Um, and so what, uh, but I ended up asking him in the cars. I said, what, what shows us grace? Like if grace is getting what we don't deserve, what shows us that? And he said, Jesus died on the cross. And I don't think I've ever explained it with that, but he's got that cross. It's like, that's right. I said, all right, Jack, but why did Jesus die? Like, what did he die for? He went, hmm. He's sitting there thinking, thinking really, to, you know, hmm. And I said, Jack, what, what did he die for? And meanwhile, I'm driving through Atlanta. And he, he goes, hmm. Daddy, Jesus died for your bad attitude. And that was his answer. Uh, so 18 months later, he's still in timeout. Uh, he didn't make this trip with us. Now, you know, I, when I think about what he said, and, and, I, and I say that to give us a base for everything, the reason that I want to help plant churches and the reason that, that the men and women who began this church and this work right here in this neighborhood began it because there is this foundational thing called the gospel, which is Jesus died in our place for our sins, and that right there is just good news. I mean, that is good news. And and when I think about what we were just singing, we just sang a song called Jesus Paid It All. All to Him I Owe, right? And it's about, what what that song's about is the transforming nature of the gospel. Now, talking with somebody right before and four years ago in this church this person came to Christ and now they're a part of leading this church forward that is the transforming nature of the gospel at work 
Gospel being God's grace, us getting what we don't deserve. And so, yes, God saved us from our sin. That's Jesus paid it all. We talked about the debt of sin in the song. He paid it all. He saved us from our sin. But we're not just saved from our sin. We're saved to a mission. God has saved us for something and to something. Otherwise, when we get saved, why isn't just like, we're saved up to heaven. This is great. No more pain, no more suffering. No, no, because God has placed us here on purpose for a reason, motivated by this message that my son said, your bad attitude, daddy. And you know what? He's right in that. He is right because the gospel is not just for our salvation, but it's for our sanctification. Sanctification being how we grow to be more like Christ. That's why somebody can go from not being a Christian four years ago to being a part of leading a church. God continues to work on their bad attitudes while they drive and works on how they speak to their wife and works. God does that. That's how the gospel works. It transforms us to the place that we live out on mission. And what we see, though, is we see this mission throughout the meta narrative. What's meta narrative? It's just the story of God. We see the story of God filled with mission, period. That's what we see throughout. I've been kind of tasked with the idea of talking about God's mission in church planting today and to kind of bring us along in that. And so we're going to hit on that a little bit. But in order to do that, I want to talk through the story of God. So I'm going to try to cover the Bible in the next maybe 15 minutes, okay? Like, they asked me what passage. I sent them one. I could have just said Bible. So we're going to just kind of work through the Bible for the next uh, 16 minutes, so then we'll do some concluding thoughts, then we'll be done. So in Genesis, and you can flip there if you want. You don't have to because I'm going to go really, really fast. But in Genesis, God creates everything, and it's good. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, God creates everything, uh, and it's good. He creates man and woman in his own image, and it's very good. You flip forward just a chapter later, and we see the fall. We see man and woman given to sin. Fall, the fall happens, so sin enters into the story. God created everything in its perfect rhythm, and it was good. But sin enters in, fractures, breaks. You can see that. I can see that. My neighbor who could care less about Jesus, but he's kind of peeking over in the fence of Christianity. We're having cool conversations about it. Do you know what he and I agree on? We live in a broken, fallen world. I haven't met a person at all, no matter their uh, beliefs, uh, where they may fall in the area of religion or relationship with Christ or whatever it may be, I have not met a person who doesn't agree. No, we live in a broken, fallen world. How do we know that? Just look at news app on your phone, and you read and you tell me what those stories say. It's a broken, fallen, messed up world. I don't care what corner of the earth you go to. It's broken and it's fallen. Where does that come from? All the way back to Genesis. Sin enters in, breaks, fractures, messes with the rhythm of how God set things up to work. And then from there, throughout the scriptures, what do we see? I have a chart on the screen that will kind of walk us through this. We see, in the Old Testament, what do we see? We see prophets, right? Yeah, we see prophets, we see priests, we see kings, and we see judges. Let me stop there for a second. So, in the Old Testament, so God creates everything, it's good, then we see the fall, then what happens from there? We see prophets, we see priests, we see kings, we see judges, all brought about to show people, hey, there's something off here, and there's something greater that you need. That's, that's the purpose of all those different roles we see in the Old Testament. The interesting thing is, is what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus shows up, he lives the life we cannot live, he dies the death we deserve, then he conquers Satan's sin and death on our behalf. And he offers forgiveness, he offers the grace that we talk about, grace is getting what you don't deserve, 
He takes what is broken. This is what Jesus does, right? He takes what is broken and he makes it whole. He takes what is old and he makes it new. He takes what has no hope and he gives it eternal purpose. And if you're here today and you've become a Christian recently in the last season or whenever it was for you, you can look and go, no, that's true. I feel that. I've sensed that. He took what was broken and he has made it whole. And I feel like I have a purpose where before I was just kind of aimlessly going through life. That's what God does. But how does he do that? Because he's the fulfillment of all that we see throughout the Old Testament. Because Jesus, we'll look on the chart, is the one true prophet, the one true priest, the one true king, and the one true judge. He is the fulfillment of all of those things. Listen to me. Jesus changes everything. Period. Like, again, if you just kind of stumbled in this morning, you heard they had donuts or something, like, whatever your story is this morning, Jesus changes everything. He does. That is what he is in the business of doing. And let me just give a personal challenge to you and a personal challenge to me. There is nothing more fulfilling than abandoning your own mission and joining his mission. There is nothing more fulfilling than abandoning your own mission and joining what I would call the everyday mission of God. There is no such thing as an unsent Christian. We are sent by God on a mission to join him in this redemptive story, to be a part of it. We see that, right? John 20, 21 says, um, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then you see the same type idea in Matthew 28, verse 19, in Acts 1, 8. If you were to conclude those verses, what, what do those verses say? They tell us that we are sent just as Jesus was sent, to make disciples, so people who follow Christ, to make disciples of all nations through the power of the Holy Spirit, period. But what do we see from there? So Jesus tells the disciples that in John 20, uh, 21, Matthew 28, 19, he tells them that in Acts 1, 8, we see him tell this message. What happens from there? How do we see the mission of God go forth? I want to kind of walk through the timeline of this very quickly. We see Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel. You follow this in the book of Acts. So in Acts, he stands up, he preaches the gospel, and uh, about 3,000, the way it is worded in the scripture, 3,000 men came to know Christ. That doesn't include the women and children. Some scholars would say that equals around 10,000 people that came to know Jesus that day. That's a decent day in the life of like, Mega church. How many did you guys have today? 10,000? Did you tweet it? Of course we did. Like, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's we put the word out. Hey, what, what is that baptism like, 10,000? All right, everybody. I mean, there, there wasn't that many believers at this point, much less pastors. Like, all right, everybody, to the edge of the pool. All right, Peter, count to three. And everybody just jump in in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, I don't know, but I want in on that. Like, I want to see that. And so what happens from there? Follow this timeline. It'll be on the screen as well. In the year 42, Mark then goes to Egypt. In the year 49, Paul then heads to Turkey. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Let's just pause for a second. So you see, all of a sudden, the gospel, this message of good news going out because God wants his mission to go forth, this message of good news to go forth. And the spread of the gospel in the book of Acts, here's what we know. 
How did the spread of the gospel take place in the book of Acts? Primarily, please hear this, primarily because ordinary people were empowered by an extraordinary presence and they were proclaiming the gospel everywhere they went. And when I say ordinary people, it, when you actually look throughout the scriptures, the, most of the time in the book of Acts, where were the apostles? Jerusalem. They didn't move. They didn't go anywhere. So who went? Uh, some, some people. That's what the Bible, these are unrecorded names. If we're going to see a move of God across North America, we're going to see a move of God, of God across uh, this county and this area and this state, it's going to be because a bunch of unnamed people lived out the mission of God where they are. That's it. It's not going to be because there's a lot of David Sons and a lot of Charlie Swains and a lot of guys who go and start churches and do this. That's going to be helpful, but ultimately it's going to be because people live on mission where they are, in their workplace, in their cul-de-sac, in the elementary school that they volunteer in, on the rec team where they coach, and they got the annoying guy that coaches with them. Uh, they got the annoying guy that coaches with them that thinks he can run a spread offense with five-year-olds. Uh, like, it's going to be because I'm patient with that guy, and eventually we eat dinner together and hang out, and he sees, and I eventually speak the gospel. That's how it happens. See, I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a pastor in a church where people see me up and preach. I, I get to actually get to be a little bit, like, under, like, under, what is it called? Disguised. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm under the radar. Like, they don't know that I'm a pastor. I love that. As soon as one, one neighbor found out I was a pastor, he started closing his garage as soon as he got home. Um, <laughs> like, it just happened. But throughout the scriptures, that, you, so often we relegate the mission of God to the professionals, quote-unquote. mission of God was given to any person who understands his grace. So my son... He understands his grace, but he doesn't understand it in his soul yet. But once he does, guess what? My son's on the front line of mission that day. Because that's what God does. That's how he works. Now, to make sure this happened and to ensure these things happen, God did appoint well-known apostles like Peter and John and Paul, and they had certain positions of leadership in the church, and those do matter. Yet, it was anonymous Christians who first took the gospel to Judea, who first took the gospel to Samaria. And it was unnamed believers who founded the church at Antioch. Now that might not mean a lot, but let me just say this. The church at Antioch was the greatest multiplying, sending church, starting lots of churches that you see in the entire first century. They were the greatest at doing that. Unbelievable move of God. They planted church after church after church after church after church. Who started that church? Just just some farmers probably. Just some guys who cared about their neighbors. That's how it happened. The good news of Jesus spread, not just through gifted preachers and teachers, but through everyday people whose lives have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. Period. This is how the gospel advanced across the globe in the first century. Through self-denying, Holy Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus who lived and spoke the gospel boldly. That, that's how. So then we go forward in our timeline here. In the year 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In the year 280, reports of rural churches are now in northern Italy. By the year 350, 31.7 million people in the Roman Empire claim Jesus as Lord. What? There were 11 men in a room once, and then it went from 11 men in a room to now 31.7 million. God is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. It's amazing. 
And in the year 432, Patrick heads to Ireland as a missionary, planted some seven, helped plant some 700 churches during his time there. That is that Patrick, by the way, that you're thinking about. Wear green, pinch each other. Just want to squash a little thing. He wasn't even Irish. Just throwing that out there. Was not an Irish man. He was there to serve on mission. Had been wrongfully imprisoned there. Was on his way back home on a boat. God breaks his heart and he says, all right, got to go back and be a missionary to those people who wrongfully imprisoned me. Near by the year 635, we see the first missionaries to China. The year 900, first missionaries reach Norway. The year 1200, the Bible had then been translated into 22 different languages. And then the year, can you help me here, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Yes, sailed and sailed and sailed and sailed the final land for me and you. That's the song. And with that, though, he brought the Holy Scriptures to the Americas. And then year by the year 1681, St. Philip's Church was started in, guess where? Charleston, South Carolina. First church in this state. And then seven years ago, this won't, I don't think, be on the screen, but seven years ago, a church in Somerville started called the Journey Church. And from there, out of the Journey Church in September of 2011, this will be there, a church began called the Church at Cane Bay. And here on September 14th of 2014, here you and I sit. That is the mission of God from Genesis chapter 3 to right now where you and I sit. Are you seeing this? God is doing exactly what he promised he was going to do, and he's doing it through people who abandon their own mission and join the everyday mission of God. That is how he works. That is what he does. And let me tell you, his plan has not changed. Like, there isn't like an audible. Like, well, you know, really thinking just the only way to do it is really enormous churches with guys who speak really well. I'm thinking that might be the only way. They're proving me wrong, so nope. His way has not changed. Ordinary people living out the mission of God wherever they are. And oftentimes we even look at the scriptures and we see guys like Peter and John and we go, man, they were just unbelievable. But do you know in Acts chapter 4 verse 13 it says that they were ordinary unschooled men? Even they were. But what does it say later in that verse, verse 13 of chapter 4 and Acts? But people were astonished, and they took note because these men had been with who? Jesus. Let me tell you, his plan hasn't changed from Acts till now. We are sent just as Jesus was sent to make disciples of all nations through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and what I love about this church and what I know about this church, and as I've gotten to observe it uh, from a distance, is there's already a track record here that displays that this church wants to be a part of a movement of people who live on mission and the starting of new churches. Like, that's a part of the heart of where you guys are. There, there's, there's, you guys are in that. You're in the game on that. And there has to be more of you doing that. So, so I want to hit two ideas really quickly. Um, as you, as the church, continue to press, press into the mission of God. There's two pursuits, and this will be on the screen, there's two pursuits that must be present, two pursuits that must be present for the mission of God really to go forth the way we see throughout the Scripture we see in the church, the book of Acts. Number one, we must actively live on mission. We must actively live on mission. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. Number two, we must aggressively multiply the church. So, like, what you have here is so good. This has got to multiply. It, ha- it has to multiply. 
So actively, personally, living on mission. Secondly, aggressively multiplying what's here. Now, here's what I'll tell you. The second one will never happen if the first one's not present. The, the second one will not happen unless the first one is not present. And so we're going to come back to living on mission, and we'll end there. We're going to come back to that. But for just a few minutes, I, I, I want to talk and deal with the idea of multiplying and planting more churches. Because some people can get comfortable in that, right? Like, but this is good. Like, people can come here. We got some, there's some space over there. We can put some more seats out. We can take down the fake wall. Um, we, can, we can do that. Like, we can we, we can make that happen. We don't need to, we don't need to plant more churches. Um, we, we have to. Like, the resources of this church must be leveraged to more and more churches being started. Like, what God is doing among this church family must be multiplied because what is happening here is so good. But why? Why, why do we need to plant churches? Like, don't we, seriously, don't we have enough? Let me, let me give you a little bit of stats. If you don't like stats, I apologize. You can take a nap. I'll be back in five minutes. Over the last 200 years, there's been significant ground lost for the church in the United States. Significant ground lost. There was a time when the advancement of the gospel, this good news of Jesus, had more of a direct impact on the population per capita than it does now. There was a, more of a gospel presence um, than there is today. Let me give you some stats, and again, we'll be done with these pretty quickly. In the early 1800s, there was one Protestant church in the United States for every 875 people. So, one church per 875 people in the population. By the, by, now, watch this move. This is amazing. By the beginning of World War I, so around 1939, that ratio was one Christian church, one Protestant church for every 430 people in the population. So during that 100-year span, the uh, church planting efforts outpaced the growth of population. Do you see that? Like, I mean, that's unbelievable. Like, so church planting in that time actually doubled. But something happened. After World War I, something happened. Church planting slowed significantly. The population began to outpace the growth and the planting of new churches. So let me give you a, an updated stat, if you will. In states like New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, it's actually the same for uh, Nevada, there is one evangelical church for now every 7,000 people. In the northeast corridor of our country, um, in Utah, just those two, these stats are the same for those. Um, those northeast corridor of the United States and Utah could be classified as unreached people groups because it's less than 2% of their population claiming to be born-again Christians. That's crazy. I mean, crazy. The, uh, most unchurched, uh, most evangelical unchurched city in the United States. You know what it is? Salt Lake City. Most uh, unchurched city in North America, Montreal. Interesting with Montreal, you know why? Montreal streets are named after saints. Every street, there's a saint's name on it. Like, you can go down and see St. Peter, St. Paul, like, as you're driving down their streets, and yet it's the most unchurched city here. So, many leading missiologists would say 
If you look at those stats and the way it works, I mean, the unchurched population, unchurched population has grown by 95% in the last 10 years. Think about that. And so a lot of leading missiologists say in order to effectively access an area with the gospel, you need to plant one church per every thousand people. That's in urban areas. And in rural areas, you need one church per 500 people. Like, they've studied this. They put things out. I work with these guys. And in order for there to be an advancement of the gospel in this community, that's how it works. And how do those churches get planted? By ordinary people living out the mission of God where they are. It's the most healthy way it can happen. So if the appropriate ratios are going to be reached in North America and church planting, movement must take place. One that sees new churches planted in every sector of society. Listen, as I just said, the unchurched population has grown by 95%. Charles uh, Peter Wagner says it this way. He said, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. Ed Setzer and Warren Bird added the conversation in their book, Viral Church. Here's what they say. They say, church planting isn't the latest trend, theory, or program. Church planting is the dominant method of evangelism in the book of Acts and is the key <clears throat> to spreading the gospel to every people group or population segment, large or small, in every corner of the planet. So in order to see significant change take place, to see the gospel advance, it seems as if we must plant churches and the healthiest place for churches to be planted from are healthy churches like this one. That's the best place. I love that you guys are already involved in some ways in that. Hey, within our tribe of churches, so like you're part, you probably know a little bit, you're part of like a network of a lot of churches across North America, the organization I work with. Y'all are kind of a part of that. Out of all the churches, so if you want to hear how my, look at my resume a little bit and see how I'm doing with my job, do you know how many, what percentage of our churches within our whole network of churches is involved in church planning at all? 4%. That's it. 96% are not involved at all. I have a really tough job now. My resume's not that good. 96% not involved at all. A lot of our new church plants, people think, well, they'll naturally do it. That's not true. If you don't actively, from your roots, go, we're going to be involved in this and begin to do that and have people come in and send them out and take some of you guys and send you over here to help. Hey, can y'all help with the children's stuff? Or can you help with, uh, they're going to be doing some mission stuff in this community. Can you go help them? There's only 12 of them to start. They need a few people. Like, if that's not actively happening, uh, we will not press into and see people in communities and whole communities come to Christ. I love in the book of Acts, you'll see how somebody will go and share the gospel, and then it says, and then their whole household came to Christ. I always wondered what that meant. Right now, in my neighborhood, there is a family where I'm telling you, that whole household is about to come to Christ. They, I mean, it is awesome. It is unbelievable. I have a missional community that I lead with them. You're like, but they're not Christians. Nope, but they cook fine. <laughs> they cook great. So they cook. I talk about the Bible, I ask questions, and they are that close. I, we, we counted it. He and I sat down and counted it. Uh, since Easter Sunday, that was his first time he had been in a church service since he was 12. When he was 12, he went to a church service. It was in Spanish. He doesn't speak Spanish. So that's his church background. He, he came with me, with his family, to Easter, and we counted. He has been to our church service. Now, I travel a good bit, but he's been to our church service in our church that we're a part of in the Atlanta area. Um, nine more times than I have since Easter. 
He's like, man, you're probably not going to be a Christian anymore. I'm like, well, we got some things to teach you. There's some theology stuff. You, you'll need the Holy Spirit first, then we'll go from there. All right? He's like, ah, I'm not there yet. I'm like, all right, keep working. Entire households. That, that's what happens when you go and help plant churches, is entire households will come to know Christ. Like, I wait for the day where entire, like, the, what, who became a Christian? Was it the dad first? No, it was just like they all just became Christians. Because that's what's in the book of Acts, and that is possible because the same Holy Spirit that existed then exists now, and he's still working. He didn't, like, take a vacation and go, yeah, I'm just going to go to the work in China. I'll be back in the United States. Like, no, he's still here, and he's working in and through. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the saints, which is you. And as I said earlier, I wanted to pre- present two pursuits that must be present. We must aggressively multiply the church, but number one, we must actively live on mission. And that is my challenge to you. How do you do that? If I had time, we'd go through that in detail. But we don't. Um, and so it's really simple. Get to know people. Get to know their stories. Give your life away to them. Love them with everything that you have. Ask them bold questions. Speak the gospel and watch God do what he does. And what he does is he just does work. It's like going to work with your dad. I grew up in a home where uh, uh, my dad was construction and I would get to go to work with him sometimes. I'll never forget the day he gave me my own hammer. It was like being knighted in the south, right? And so he gives me my own hammer and I get down and I start nailing and I'm bruising up this floor and all these construction blue collar guys uh, that worked with my dad are just looking at me. I feel really embarrassed. I'm like 11 at the time and, and sure enough, not long after that, my dad leans down, puts his hand on top of my hand, and he says, son, we can do this. And then it's like, bam, 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 the nail goes down. Bam, 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 the nail goes down. And at that point, I'm like, what's up, fellas? Like, I am a carpenter. I don't know if y'all noticed, but floor, did the whole thing. And as soon as I thought that, I realized and felt the pressure of my dad's hand still on top of my hand. And I thought, he's doing the work. He's doing the heavy lifting. All he's asking is for me to put my hand on the hammer. And I feel like that's the call of God on our lives. Just put your hand on the hammer and start swinging. He'll put his hand on top of your hand because he's the one that does the work. He's the one that does the heavy lifting. He's the one that rescues souls. But here's, here's our thing. There is nothing greater than abandoning your own mission. Because there are a lot of things we can do. And joining the everyday mission of God wherever we live. Wherever we live. I'm not asking you to add something onto your schedule. I'm asking you to intersect this gospel message into your everyday lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your kindness that leads us to repentance. Um, That you're a good God and that you love us and you care for us deeply. That you've called us to be a part of this mission that we see from Genesis to right now. That we can follow that timeline to the church at Cane Bay as we stand here. God, that is not by accident. That is on purpose. And Lord, we, we thank you for how you work, how you've done that, how you uh, set a couple uh, families' hearts on fire to be a part of this community, to see change, to see transformation. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to actually go meet our neighbors today, to actually talk to the coworker that that's the last person we want to talk to. Help us do that. Help us to put our hands on the hammer, Lord.
And then allow us to see you work in the power of your Holy Spirit, the only way that you work and the goodness that you bring. We pray for that, Lord. We love you. And we thank you that we can be a part of your story. It is, we are so undeserving, but yet you invite us into that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.